I take any blame for inflation, no. Why not? Because it was already there when I got here, man. Remember what the economy was like when I got here? Democrats were shuddering privately just a few days ago about how big the margin was going to be. Republicans were predicting a red wave, but they may end up with the same slim majority Democrats have had for the last two years. We are going to take the House back. But we've got so much more to do, and I have only begun to fight. You and I have a rendezvous with death. Welcome back. It's a big week here. This is going to be the third episode of the Ruthless Variety Program. Fellas, how are we feeling? Good. Working hard. Outstanding. Yeah. I mean, I look at the commitment. We sing, we dance, we entertain. <laughs> entertain. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So off the top, uh, Joe Biden apparently not taking any, any responsibility for inflation let me just remind the listening audience that when he took office, as he said, you remember what it was like when I yeah, got here? Right. It was 1.4%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do We do remember, Mr. President. We then, do. And then he made the courageous decision to let people go back to their jobs. And he's like, look at all these jobs I created. What a fucking hero. And then and then spent what three and a half trillion dollars? And then he's like, I can't believe the dollar's lost value. I can't believe it. These Republicans oh, they did it to me. Oh, it's that echo chamber that Pete was talking about. What a oh my God. It's just so infuriating. So listen, we did the State of the Union, we got through all that. I thought it was a pretty like lackluster sort of not ambitious speech at all. There are moments in time that, in my view, you have an opportunity to do something big, mm-hmm. big, and it's always in divided government. Mm-hmm. But it requires some political courage on behalf of the president of the United States, right? If you look at like Ronald Reagan, Tip O'Neill, uh, when they reformed Social Security and Medicare, it required political courage in order to do it and and they did it and they saved it for a half generation and like it wasn't a political issue at all because they did it on a bipartisan issue if you look at like bill clinton and newt gingrich with welfare reform you can't you can't do that on a partisan basis Mm -hmm. you have to do it on a bipartisan basis it's the kind of thing you lean into when you're trying to set your mark and your legacy as a president this guy went into last tuesday and he just kind of like, you know, he just gave us the, oh, here's the talking points I need to go through. I, he didn't like split his pants as we discussed, so he didn't humiliate himself. But like, where's the ambition? No, it's it was the chat GPT State of the Union. It was. It, really? it, it That's a great description. It, 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 it could have been generated by a computer. 100%. It was like every sort of like, like soft-headed pablum of, of the left was in there. There was no ambition, though. And it was just, and it was blame the Republicans for this. Oh, they care about the rich people and they want to end Social Security and that's it. And, and none of his solutions were like, here's how we fix this. Every problem he tried to come up with, he was like, the answer is we take more tax money from the American <laughs> people and we spend it. It was like insane. Like anything he could think of, it came down to, okay, and so we're going to have to, you know, get more tax money. And he tried rolling with the line of like, oh, it's going to come from the billionaires when we've already seen, I mean, like, IRS agents are going through your Venmo. They're going after waitresses' tips. Like, they are going to squeeze the middle class even more. And that was his, to me, that was a whole theme of it is 
He won't say a single bad word about China. He he won't. He didn't mention well, he didn't a even, single he, thing about how he, they're responsible. For he fentanyl. didn't even address it, Smug. I mean, the thing that we talked about on Tuesday was, and, and again on Wednesday, is, um, I don't know when half the country believes, rightfully so, that China flew a balloon over the entirety of the United States of America over sensitive uh, military assets. You have an obligation as President of the United States to explain either that they didn't get the information because of something you did, or there was something we don't know that could alleviate some concern. But he treated it as sort of like a glancing blow. Like, mm-hmm. not that it that it, it went traversed the entire country. He basically said in the speech, it's like, we dealt with this. Yeah, and well, then to, uh, he, he made it an applause line, which was like incredible to me. Incredible. But I, I don't I don't mean to sound like an old banjo on this front, but this is what you get when you have a Democrat in the White House and a media who refuses to hold them accountable. Yep. If there were a Republican in the White House, they'd they be would, like, what the hell? Exactly. How can you not talk about he, that? He would have after been it completed relentlessly. Its after it flew over military bases and the entire country you're like, oh, yeah, now we're going to do something about it. And, and and to think that that's like spiking the football. Yeah, he like. didn't. My point is he didn't directly address it. it no, was, just tell no, me that they didn't. didn't get the information. Tell me you did some right. some some military voodoo. Right. To, to make it clear that like the information that was it was absorbing didn't get out of that balloon. Which is why like like the whole analysis of the speech from the talking heads about how this showed strength and yada, 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 reinvigorated by it and all this <laughs> bullshit. It was like I I never felt like real weakness until I heard that line. Yeah. About yeah. the balloon. Yeah. yeah. And the way That's it was right. the way it was minimized in the speech well, the way reflected he, the weakness I think of the administration's response. Mm-hmm. You're 100% right. Mm-hmm. The way he couched it. He couched it. He, he couched it. That like it's not a way a fucking American president should stand on national television and talk about a foreign country with a surveillance balloon over your country for the last 5 days. Like I I, I just I can't imagine any other president standing in front of the entire world and handling it that way. It just showed such, I don't know. It's just so fucking and weak. Dude, and he had that super weird moment when he, he like, uh, all these reporters started tweeting that he's completely off the uh, teleprompter and off his rocker. But when he was like, tell me, Jack, who would trade places with she right now? Who would trade places with she? Tell me. And, it, like, it was silence in the chamber because everyone was like, Everybody's what like, is what the fuck wrong? are you talking what, about? What, what? It's like what? old man shouts at cloud. Yeah. Old and, man shouts at balloon. But, 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 like, the thing that, that, the way he couched it was to say, if American sovereignty is threatened, yeah. we will respond. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that was a question. I'm so I'm sorry. I like I look, I, maybe I'm a child of the eighties. Maybe it maybe it's the case that I just assumed a president of the United States would defend our country. Yeah. Right. I did I'm sorry if that if this is a new generation of democratic thought that like we actually don't have an obligation to defend our citizens against foreign threats. I didn't know that. And I think that is our thought because of the fact that we had a Chinese spy balloon flow over the entire country, multiple military installations over nuclear silos, and he did nothing. So that was not defending our sovereignty. It's just an empty, hollow statement from someone who really made our country look weak. That's yeah. what happened. Yeah. yeah, there is, you know, what I am starting to believe more and more is there is nothing better for Jimmy Carter's legacy than Joe Biden's <laughs> presidency. I mean, he is making Carter look like a, a, an absolute 
stud. Yeah, he makes him he makes him look like Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> and it's t- it, it, that's time sensitive too. Yeah, I mean that's a, they we're talking about the same time time period. Yeah. Um, listen, we have a great show today. We've got Richard Hudson, who is the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee. Big job ahead of him. Uh, you saw him last when he was throwing Mike Rogers in a headlock. Yeah. Uh, which we talked about on the... Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, I brought it up. I brought it up. Can't yeah. wait to hear that. We talked about it and, and, and many, many more things. He's a great guy. He's got a great team. Excited to work with him here in the next couple of years on a whole range of issues, but you'll hear more about him. Um, it's Super Bowl week. Oh, no, you can't say that. You do not have the expressed written consent of the NFL. You got to say the the big game. We got a big game. We have. We're almost, there's nothing more ridiculous in our entire society than that. Like at some point, trademark has to not apply, right? It does. Like it's like the one tentpole event in our in our culture we still have. Just let us talk about it. If you're a lawyer for the NFL and you're and you're listening to this podcast, my apologies, but we're going to talk about it. Yeah, and if you want, if you want to sue us, it, frankly, it'll be better for our ratings than yours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but look, if you want to talk about this for a second, I mean, who do we like here? Smog, do you have a view on this? I mean, I think the Eagles just look terrific all season. Uh, you know, we've talked about them before on the show. It's just like it feels like they have the complete package there. I think they get all their players, in, you know, healthy, ready to play. I mean, that's that's a tough team to beat. The Aggles. Yeah, I, I usually root for the AFC no matter what, but um, after the Chiefs' performance and the and and what the refs gave them in the championship oh, game, I knew that was I'm coming. Gu- I'm going to root for Travis Kelsey. He's a Cincinnati Bearcat, but you know what? This, <laughs> this such a Midwestern move right there. This uh, this Super Bowl, I'm actually rooting for. You're rooting for the Aggles. I'm rooting for Jalen Hurts. Because I think his, I think he's got a time frame. The clock is ticking on his career. I like the way he plays. He plays really, really hard. Down, downhill football. The guy is an incredible talent. Wait, and you say the clock's ticking because he plays a, fi- a really physical game? He I plays. He plays a very physical game. And as a quarterback, you just you know the human body cannot last mm-hmm. for an extended period of time with his style of play. And I think that he plays a gutsy, a he gutsy does. style of ball. And and I'd I'd like to see. I I'm sorry to say it. I'd you like could, to see Jalen Hurts get a trophy. You could say That's this. Fair. You could I agree with you that. could say the same thing about Mahomes, though. I mean, no, bro. no, no man. Dude, dude, anyone sneezes near Mahomes and the refs call it. Well, no, 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 no. Like I get, I get it. And 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 when we covered. When we did the episode after the, the the you know conference championships, I was like, I don't think he really had a high ankle sprain, right? Because I've had an, a high ankle sprain. Well, you have tremendously weak ankles. Everybody knows. I've had that. surgery on them. Yeah, I mean they, these ankles notoriously weak. They're notoriously weak. <laughs> the, the ligaments are like worn out rubber bands. Yeah, yeah. Now they should be studied by science. They should. Yeah. I should be in a textbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you? What do you? Do? I, they call I, it. They well, call it Duncan ankle. Yeah. <laughs> but I. I mean, look, he, he's clearly not a hundred percent. And like, like Jalen Hurts, like he, I got to give the guy a hat tip. Like he finds a way to make a play work. When a busted play happens, he figures out a way to get the ball to somebody. And if he can't get the ball to somebody, he's going to pay he's a gonna, ref. He's going to pay a ref, and they're going to throw a fifteen-yard flag. Yeah. So, 
I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a great game. I totally agree. I mean, here's the thing. My wife is a big Aggles fan. Fly, Eagles, fly. And uh, she's... uh, My biggest concern, honestly, is that she's going to convince my sons... To be well, you know we we so so I I I gotta if they win two Super Bowls while my son is my first son has been born yeah like what choice I mean yeah no dude and I feel bad I feel bad but I gotta let the listeners know that conference championship Eagles win and I'm on Insta (laughs) oh Jesus I'm sorry I'm on Insta you're doing this to me and I see a photo of your two sons in Eagles jerseys I know they were in Vikings jersey the weeks before and you know the worst part about it I screenshotted it and I Uh, sent it on the group chat to you I did it I feel bad about it now but boy, did it feel good! No, then. I mean it's, it's it's amongst the most emasculating things that have has ever happened to me. It is, it is. And, but there's nothing I can do. I mean, the other thing, the internal part of it is like, do you sentence your children? Yeah, to the to, misery, to the internal struggle that I've dealt with for forty years of my life. As, Help! As a Broncos fan, yes, it's tradition. At we least we were born to suffer. At least. <laughs> Holmes, at least you have a coach. Yeah. At least you have a coach. Well, you, uh, fighting Jeff Saturdays, you're still working on it, my, right? My Colts don't have a coach. This is like week four. <laughs> of Everybody's hired coordinators. And I feel like the whole process is just like, you know, coddling the ego of, of Jim Ursay because he made the, the Saturday decision. And so they got to like exhaust every possible option. And nobody wants to be the person to recommend somebody <laughs> when the boss is like, no, I think this Jeff Saturday's got to figure this it out. This guy's got it figured out. The guy who lost every single fucking game. <laughs> we got to bring him back. Is uh, is Jim Morris still alive? Oh, yeah, no. Playoffs? Playoffs? <laughs> you talking about playoffs? Playoffs? All I'm time we win a game. All-time great moment. <laughs> All-time great. I love it. Well, listen, it's going to be a good game. We're going to have a great weekend. Uh, let's get to some five stars. Huh? Who wants this first one? Well, this is uh, from a young North Carolinian, so I think Smug has to read it. Absolutely. Uh, from young North Carolinian, fans in high places. I hear in many five stars how people discover y'all through Megan Kelly. I found y'all through a different avenue. I was interning on Capitol Hill this summer and attended a lecture by Congressman Patrick McHenry. Let's go. Who shouted y'all out as a fantastic podcast for young people to listen to and stay engaged in politics. Good friend. I have listened to every minute of every episode since. Uh, This has become my favorite podcast in my repertoire. I love the insider insight on the political world, as well as listening to Smug Laugh about dark animal humor. That's what I, I do. love it. Thank you so much. I love it. All right, so uh, second one. Who wants it? All right, this is from Curveball7, and it's titled, Great Podcast, Fellas. I've enjoyed listening to the program for the last year. I look forward to Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear you pouncing and seizing. <laughs> the laughs I get from King of the Hill claim to fame, R.I.P., and Demer Journal make any day easy. As an Italian, oh here we go. As an Italian, oh my god, I laugh the most when Smug stereotypes my people. <laughs> <laughs> we do it out of love. We do. We do. Keep up the great work, fellas. Oh, and the triple D cows had me laughing out loud in a public <laughs> setting. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about the triple D cows. Uh, I think that was me. I came in pretty hot. Yeah, <laughs> and Smug, you've been a little soft on the Irish. I feel like the Italians have made. Well, the, the Irish are also a menace. I don't want to. Get that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh my god, that's great. All right, uh, Duncan, what do you got? This is from Ligma Johnson, twenty twenty-four. Uh, the title is "The Overton Window Has Shifted." Gents, I feel right at home when I turn on the Ruthless program. It's exactly like sitting around the firehouse kitchen table in Hamtown, where banter jokes, coffee, and lib digs don't just go well together. They are the norm. <laughs> Ashbrook, Daniel Abner would have absolutely loved this program. It's almost like he's a guest every episode because I can hear him some of the things you in some of the things you say. He'd be so proud of you. I know we all are. Keep walking that line and stay in the fight. The fate of the republic is depending on us. Oh, so this is a Cincinnati guy. Yeah, so I'll just I'll just say for the audience, uh, Daniel Abner was my cousin and unfortunately passed way way too young he was brilliant and uh he would have loved you guys so much you guys would have loved him and it's just it's uh it's just so nice to to hear somebody remembering him um and he he absolutely would have loved the show man i just love that stuff you know that's why this is such a community right Mm -hmm. we all get each other everybody's listening right now gets each other i wish you all could meet each other it's why we do live events yeah that you can have the, the the all the minions and the ruthless variety program audience interact with one another because you all love each other and you, you also, just don't know each other. You also get something culturally about what we're doing here. Yeah, you know, like I still think about being eight years old coming out of like wrestling practice into my dad's car and he had Rush Limbaugh. On. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And that was like my first exposure to what it is that we do now. Yeah. And that sort of becomes like this cultural touchstone that you're trying to like keep alive. If, and if you ever met Rush, you felt like you just were friends. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Which is such a, it's such an odd dynamic, but when you have a show like that, and hopefully like the one that we're producing here, that's the way it works, is we're all a community. We all just sort of, your thoughts are our thoughts, <laughs> right? right? I right. mean, we just have a conversation. I love that. That those are great. All three of them, fantastic. Yeah, thank you, Ligma Johnson. Well, I want to give one more shout out here. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but there is a Twitter account, Jude Crawford. Yo, yeah, totally, Junkie Boy Jude. Yes, who is a fan and has, you know, a recent a recent fan who's gone back and has been listening to all the old episodes, like binging, binging mm-hmm. them. Like, periodically he or she like tweets out something about oh that episode was hilarious you know right, right. i mean shout out to you and, and it's been like 73 yeah right i mean jude's making some progress progress you got like another 200 to go but i mean and i love the reviews of, of things like jan six for example yeah mm-hmm. right where they where they talk about our conversations before and after and the significance of it in retrospect and that's just, I mean, God, you just love to hear it. You do. You love to hear it. All right, let's talk about this piece of shit speech. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, look, let me say this at the outset. Uh, he didn't fall down and split his pants. I think the fact that he uh, went an hour plus without, like, a memorable stumble. Yeah probably set him above the bar in terms of expectations for what he's trying to do. 
However, if you look at the substance of what it is that he said, I mean, everybody was waiting for him to just like trip and fall. And yeah. Basically, basically just like have a, a 30 second period where he couldn't pronounce a sentence. Right. Right. And that's that's our fault. I mean, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't actually be an expectation for a president of the United States that they can't articulate anything. But can he survive for an hour? That's, that's a, you know, <laughs> right, it's right. a goalpost. When that's set, it, it's tough to miss that one. Which is, I mean, we're four beat off sitting around microphones. We survive for an hour. So I think, I think the president <laughs> of the United States can figure that out. I would and, hope so. And, yeah. and initially, I didn't know how well it would go when he was like, Chuck Schumer, the minority leader. You're the best minority leader. And Chuck Schumer was like, what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> like, uh. McConnell's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the slow rumble. Um, so, but I thought this was one of the least ambitious speeches I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. Like he checked a bunch of boxes for the, pre- like he was talking about like, oh, let's do uh, gun control. Let's do the pro act. Like, you know, the gun control segment of the progressive left, the pro act, which is basically like unionize all of America and make franchises non-existent, eliminate the fast food food industry, right. all that. Like none of that is is even in the realm of possibility with a Republican Congress. Yeah. So he just like name checked it. Right. right? I mean, it's it, it is his way of name checking all the interest groups that fund Democratic campaigns. That's right. Simple as that. Yeah. And, and they, all they need to do is hear that, which right. is so hilarious. By the way, it's such a perfectly Washington thing. Yeah. Which is like. There's no chance that this guy can get our stuff done, but if he says it, oh, oh boy, we move the ball forward. My oh my, <laughs> my oh boy, my oh my. And it's not like any of it was inspirational, right? I mean, like he didn't fall and split his pants, right. but I mean, like the whole thing. If I had to use a, it was sort of plotting. It was like he was struggling to get through a lot of it, even though he didn't have thirty seconds where he had a senior moment and he's like, where's the jello? It wasn't like he like nailed these applause lines either. You know what I mean? One thing I remember, and I kept thinking about this last night while I was watching, or the other night when I was watching this horrible thing is, uh, <laughs> when when President Trump had his first day of the union, do you remember how angry so many reporters were because he like nailed it? Yeah, he had oh, that yeah, totally. moment with, mm-hmm. with, a, with a widow uh, where he recognized her and her husband's sacrifice for this country. And they were like, because the expectations for him that they had set, you know, telling the public, like, this is an evil, terrible man, and you're all going to hate this. And it ends up being ambitious and inspiring, and he nails it, and they were just so angry. So, yeah. angry. so angry about that. And then you compare that to what we saw with this with this State of the Union from Biden, and it was just, it was like worse than, it was like cold oatmeal, yeah. right, for right. an hour and 20 minutes. And no one enjoyed it. No one afterwards was like, I'm ready to run through a wall. Hell yes, that's my president. Let's do this. Right. No one was. It, and it really did. You know, now that you mentioned it, it, it was just like name checking various special interest groups of like, here's your pet cause, here's your pet cause, here's right. your pet cause. Good night, everybody. Yeah. Well, the, the, the term Michael used is plotting. The term that came to my mind is forgettable. Because they previewed this speech in a bunch of different ways and promised they were going to take it to X, they were going to take it to Y, they were going to take it to Z. And none of it did any of that. No. It was all, it was all very general. Yeah, Everything they came, they was came at it. They came at it in the preview that we did yesterday. Uh, it, was, it was like, oh, he's going to tax the rich and draw a, a heavy wedge in... in right. You know, haves and have-nots and things like that. He didn't do that. He did none of it. 
Right. He did none of it. He didn't. He didn't do any of it. And I mean, if if it was bloodless, yeah. I just think, guys, and I know I'm I might be in the minority here because I, you know, I've I've thought like the Democrats are shooting from inside the tent on him on all this stuff. I don't think he's running again. No, I don't I, think I, his heart's in it. I I I feel like he would like to go out with one more accomplishment, but I would not be surprised if he rides off into the sunset. Here's my here's my caveat to that. If he's not running again, Joe Biden is smart enough to know that there are moments in time, as I said at the top of the show, where you can do transformational things that your party's not going to appreciate over the long term, but they actually do give you legendary status, like sure. Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. and Tip O'Neill mm-hmm. and Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton. And he knows because I've been in the conversations with yeah. him with Mitch McConnell where in the in 2011 he knows he's smart enough to know what needs to be done for this country I get it and he didn't in, in fact not only did he venture down the path towards am I going to do something truly significant to a secure the border b reduce our debt you know c do crime or anything like that he purposely steered away from it and drove wedges instead and that that sounds like a political speech that's that's more political to me he also knows very well what sort of a platform a state of the union offers a president especially if this is one of his last major addresses in front of the country he knows what his shortcomings are he knows he can't really comport himself in a press conference the way that he maybe could have 20 years ago he knows that he's got a chance to read a teleprompter and read a speech that's well-written, and this wasn't well-written. There are a lot of very, very talented writers on the Democrat side. Oh, my God, yeah. Very talented Way writers. more talented than we've got. And so what I, what I don't understand is why didn't they put their shoulder to the wheel and give this guy the send-off that if, is 80-year-old. Exactly. If he was out. Right. I just—we've talked about this before— but like I, I think if you're Joe Biden, you have to know they're already like the media and and the like the liberals in academia who are going to write all the textbooks about how how great you are. Like he already has his legacy thing. Which his is legacy thing was inflation. No, he restored he restored <laughs> the soul border. of America. He he brought us back from the precipice yeah, with COVID. Like that's what they're going to write. Well, no, and it, you see what I'm saying? And like, what, and they'll that's say not what he's going to be remembered. He's going to be a guy that the guy Jimmy Carter Jr. who was bookended by Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. I think I I, I get what we maybe. would think of it. I get what we would think of it. I'm just telling you what they have what they would write about him if if tomorrow he was like I'm not going to run for president again. They'd be like he was he. He he brought America back from the brink. He restored democracy. It's that that's exactly what they what you just said is right. Yeah, it's it's not about anything else. It's about the democracy. Right, right, right. That's the thing. Is like it's not at all the truth. Like well, I know, I know, I know. It's not the truth. Like they're going to say he brought the country back from COVID when more Americans have died. Right. Uh, in a year under Joe Biden than they did uh, during Trump's without term. a vaccine, yeah, and with, exactly, and 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 in the same way that yes, he's been absolutely horrible on economic policy, and yes, this is probably the most corrupt administration history. Like just today, we had a story. I want to say it was the Examiner, or the Beacon, who found out that uh, that Penn Biden Center was essentially just like a pay pay to play structure yeah. for for his entire administration and waiting. 
paid for Fucking by the Blinken Chinese. Blinken was there. And they're full of, chi- right. uh, of top secret documents. Like, right. this is the most corrupt, inept, horrific administration in memory. But the journos, as they do, are going to be like, oh, they're going to give him the send off of like, oh, you know, he was St. George. He slew the dragon, saved but he, America. Here's the thing. We all know that's not true. And we all know that only the truth actually stands the test of time. That a, a headline in the New York Times is only as good as a press release from a Democrat office. Today. Unless it's actually true. I, I, don't, I don't believe that anymore. I mean, we still have, I'd say probably half this country still believes Donald Trump is like a KGB agent. Because the press has been weaponized and politicized to such a point that they actively, I mean for years, they lied to the American people. And they have never apologized. There's never been a reckoning for it. You've got these clowns like Clapper who, who, who used their history of working in the government as acting like they're an expert. And so, like, in that capacity, they tricked the American people into believing, oh, yes, Donald Trump is compromised and these Hunter Biden laptop thing is Russian disinformation. So the American people have been fed lies. But I the, don't believe that the truth so the, stands So the, pre- the press is able to tear down a Republican. I, I don't disagree with you there. But their ability to build up a Democrat I think is not as good as their ability to tear down a Republican because they built up Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter put solar well, panels. They still on the, try. They try, but but nobody thinks Jimmy Carter was a great president. They just don't. I mean, the guy's done great things after he was president, building houses for poor people and everything. Like all that stuff aside, their ability to build up a mediocre octogenarian <laughs> in a one-term situation is limited. Do you think that's the reason why he has to run for re-election? I think that's why he's not going to run for re-election. Okay. I, I just don't. I just don't. Think Here, he's and here's the other thing: is again, I invite every listener. I know I say it a million times. Read what it takes. Excellent book, Richard Ben Kramer. Excellent book. I know it's huge. It's like a thousand pages. It's worth it. Every word is worth it. Which is something coming from you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, seriously. the fact that you've read more than a poster board. It's you don't something. like to read. You like to lead. Yeah, yeah. but this <laughs> book was absolutely worth it. It, 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 it talks about uh, the the '88 primary. Uh, on the Republican and the Democrat side, goes through every candidate. Goes through Joe Biden. Yeah, that's the thing is you read that, and this is somebody, he's not nice Uncle Joe. He's not a family guy. He essentially abandons his previous family to go with his rich uncle, which is why I laughed when he kept trying to bring up his father last night or the other night in the speech. But uh, beyond that, he is so egotistical. He's so ego-driven. Like it took Obama talking him down to be like, no, it's Hillary's turn, old man. You had your shot. I know, which is hilarious in retrospect, by the way. Yeah. And and he'd already had the you know the the scandal with um, uh, his college career is all a lie. He cheated his way through all of it. He's a very dishonest, horrible person. He's blown it a number of times. Right? It took the media uniting against Donald Trump, spreading lies, to get this clown over the top. But in his mind, he's like, oh, I've still got it. I'm Joe Biden. You know, I I, I can I I got one more in me. I, I don't think he can give that up. I, w- I will say the, the funniest part about Joe Biden to me is that he actually is sort of a people person. Like he enjoys being around people. I think that was clear from the end of the State of the Union. He well, spent like an additional hour on the so floor. So this is what I was getting at, yeah. right? Where he, he he stays on the floor and he talks to everybody, but even that had its limits. Yeah. And, and I, 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 had, I was laughing, belly laughing by myself. About you know because he was still like he was still mic'd, mic'd up. he was still mic'd. I was watching the C-SPAN cover, yeah, like the original C-SPAN footage because I 
I wasn't sure like if the the networks would cut away or whatever, and I wanted to get every word, Dude, every word from him. Your thought process is the same yeah, as mine. So yeah. I'm like, what is he gonna do here? Because like anything's possible, yeah, right? Right, right. But like you could see, he's like, oh yeah, he's just bathing in in, in the people <laughs> or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like it got to a point with like several after he got through like Schiff. Yeah, and like a, a handful of others. and he's grabbing Maisie Hirono's face. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, just yeah. weird, weirdo shit, weird stuff. But then he gets into like the real rank and file, the Democrats, right? Yeah. And that, and they're coming at him, and they're like saying they're bonkers shit. Yeah, like oh, we need you. right. <laughs> we need, I need you to bail out every. I yeah, mean, he I'm, just I'm, ventured into Mos Eisley's cantina, right? <laughs> Just fucking and like, you're like, so we need no cops around here, right, guys? <laughs> but all of a sudden, you can see in Joe Biden's eyes, he's like, gotta keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, sort of trying to. He gets it. He was trying to work his way through the crowd a little bit quicker all of a sudden. Yeah. He was like, oh, Jesus, I'm really in the rank and file here. This is not, this isn't good for me. Right. <laughs> I, and I really hope, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy makes the next two years of biden's presidency an absolute hell for him like we have to do everything we can to make sure this administration is investigated held accountable for the horrific things they've all done right and and that the public knows they've done and the media and big tech tried hiding from us all that needs to come to account uh it's why like i was so happy during those moments when joe biden because he told so many blatant lies yeah so many <clears throat> and you had like Marjorie Taylor Greene and some Republicans call him out. Yeah. That was the best. It, the best part of that to me was all of the norms checking from the journalists about how. Oh, can we talk about that? You know, that? Yeah. MTG, she was, she booed or she made it a thing. And it's like, I mean, Nancy Pelosi ripped Donald Trump's speech up. The it, norms are gone. And they're like, oh, she's a boss lady. Yeah. It was like, the, it was here. the actual like yeah. parchment. Right. Like the the actual like delivered speech. Right. It wasn't some like printout right. of it. Right. So that's where we are now. Like, she, I, I mean. She ripped it in half. And, and like, look, I'm old enough to remember when Joe Wilson, we talked about it the other day, yelled, you know, liar or yeah, whatever. You lie. Absolute yeah. hero. Yeah. And, and, God bless him for and, that. For, to Obama. And then that was like a month-long conversation about decorum in Congress mm-hmm. and about whether or not, you know, this was a serious body <coughs> and that we could be serious and all that. Right. And then all of a sudden you get into the Trump presidency, you got the Speaker of the House, of all people, tearing up a parchment like historical documents right. in front of the cameras as the president finishes delivering yeah. the State of the Union. Like, I can't imagine anything more disrespectful than that. Right. And now we get a Democratic president, and and he, he rolls in and he's like, hey, you, I secured the border. Right. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? They're even bringing <clears throat> eggs across, like fragile eggs. Like, <laughs> it is that easy. <laughs> It's easier than TSA. It's that open. It's, it's that, that open. open. It's like it's like when you're in field day in middle school and you got the egg on a spoon and you can bring it all across the border because there's that's that's how unsecure it is. <laughs> the egg across the spoon. No, that's exactly right. But but my point is that at the end of all of this, all of a sudden, my norms are back. My norms. Oh, my norms. 
norms. My norms. Oh, we used to have a, a quiet, respectful, respectful. We don't crowd. have it anymore because uh, of these Republicans. Oh, it's these Republicans. That's what I say. They, I hope they never stop. We reap never what stop. you sow. And, and and back to your point earlier, Smug, about like we need to spend these next two years investigating this guy. And I mean, like, I do not want a single Republican to have seen that speech and be like, oh, wow, you know, Joe Biden offered us a hand. He offered us he an didn't. olive branch. And he wants to work with us on stuff. This guy said you were racist. Yep. You know, when 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 Georgia passed that election reform, I will never fucking forget this. I mean, he was he was president for a cup of Joe at the at the moment. And he, and he has the audacity to be like, you know what, Brian Kemp, uh, you're a racist. You're doing Jim Crow in it's Georgia. It's Jim Eagle. Jim yeah. Eagle, Jack. That's what he said. That's how he started his presidency. I know. And, and now we're all going to sit here and the media is going to tell us, oh, well, this guy, he's just so presidential and he wants the best for this country. He you wants us to all work together. He wants us it. to work together. Go fuck yourself. You can't dude. take Bingo, it back. Dude. You can't take it back. But here's the thing. If you wanted to work together, if you wanted it, what you would do is the, the great like elephant in the room here is the debt ceiling. It's the one thing that has to get done. Yeah. Has to get done. And Democrats all believe you just raise the debt ceiling, you don't do anything about the debt. Republicans, now that they have Congress, are in a position to say, no, we're going to do something about the debt. Plenty of historical precedents before it. A couple of us were in the room as we did this in 2011. Um, He had an opportunity at that point to say, fellas, I'm open for business. Mm -hmm. I am willing to listen to any good idea that will help put a $25 trillion debt in some state of repair as we pass this debt ceiling. Let's let's bend bend the cost curve. But instead of doing it... (laughs) Call call me naive. I thought he was going to say something. I I did too. But, but, But like instead of doing that, what he does is dredge up Rick Scott's harebrained... Uh... We should, ta- we should tax sunset. every American. We should tax every no, American. Well, no, it was plan. worse than that. It was the, it was the, we're going to sunset Social Security and Medicare every five years and you can vote to well, in keep fair, it going. Right. It was, he right? would sunset everything. Right. Yeah. But, but, so then you have to go back and you have to reauthorize he, but it's just Social Security. <laughs> but, but what he didn't say is that this was one guy's idea and that no other Republican. Of course agreed. not. That's what not he, how what it he, works. What he did say to, to great response from the chamber was that you have members of your delegation who believe this right and all of them were like fuck you like right. no right. nobody's there's not a single republican in congress who signed on to this it's rick scott and rick scott only and he provided a talking point for this administration for three glorious years by saying they're going to cut social security and medicare because of it and he went back to that well Mm-hmm. They used it in the midterm, and they used it to great effect against a whole bunch of Republican candidates. But instead of shelving it there and realizing that that's just a political talking point because no Republican would ever vote for something like that, he dredged it up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how much value he's gotten out of it's it. It's the surest sign that he wasn't serious about the speech last night. That That's like, the surest sign. Because if, if you wanted to do something grand, if you mm-hmm. wanted to actually save this country, you would have a conversation about, I don't know, the fact that 
last time we reformed Social Security, you had a 68-year life expectancy in men, and now it's 84, right? Mm-hmm. And like, maybe we should just take notice of that. Maybe we should. Maybe we should just understand that that almost 80% of our budget at this point is something that nobody actually votes on. It's stuff that's entitlements that you have promised that there's nothing you can do about. I mean, pretty, look, we're at 80% now. It's going to be at 90% in 10 years, 95%. And then you start to look a lot like Greece. Right, right. right. And like, unless you're... I you're just, like, like where you're literally at a deficit just financing the debt that you, you have do, you do you, not want to be there so like uh i, I have a, a uncle who's greek and we went and visited folks and went to greece a while back and it ended up falling during the exact time of the greek debt crisis and i remember flying out of athens and they were setting fires in syntagma square the center of town what and i was like man yeah man that's, and, and joe biden's trying to bring that here <laughs> that's <laughs> some shit but if you were if you were a serious president what you would say is i'm going to entertain any good conversation to get us on the path of total solvency and to make sure that we pay our debts mm-hmm. And but he didn't do that. That's how you build a legacy. That's how you build a legacy. Instead of doing that, what he decided to do was basically try to drive a wedge against Republicans to suggest that they want to cut your Medicare, Medicare and Social Security. Even Rick Scott, with that bizarre plan that he came up with, that literally zero Republicans or anybody else supports, um, even that doesn't do what he was suggesting. Right. Right. I mean, even that is like... It's actually the greatest evidence that he's actually running for president again. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. that I, I see what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Because if, if you are actually worried about having like a legacy and not running for president, you would have been honest. And, and dude, I sat in the room with this in these conversations... In with 20, Joe Biden. In 2011. Yeah. Where we were having conversations about the Budget Control Act. Joe Biden signed off on something called chain CPI. It's super technical. I'm not going to explain it. But it's about how you calculate uh, Social Security benefits. Right. And if you change it to, to meet inflation and everything else, it, it saves hundreds of billions of dollars over a, a period of 10 years and, and much more beyond that. It's a no-brainer deal. Like any, if you were an accountant, if you, just, if you had any mastery of math whatsoever, this is in, in politics didn't play. You're like, oh yeah, that's obviously something you do. He was like, yep, that makes sense. Let's do it. And then Harry Reid and the Democrats were like, you're gonna cut Social Security, and they like immediately nixed it. So he knows. My, that that tells me he knows. Yeah. He knows, and he cognitively, at least he did once, understood what you need to do to try to get this country back on track. And now he's choosing not to do but it. Because he, he can't run for president again being like, I'm working with the Republicans to reform Social Security. Right. It's he, as simple as that. He can't do it. Okay. He can't do it. Well, that's good evidence. One, one last thing I, I wanted to bring up. It'll probably be controversial. and, and Oh, I, I love this. Yes. Let's go. Yes. Let's go. But I want to get everyone's take. I don't know if you caught that moment. Uh between Mitt Romney and George Santos. Oh, yeah. Did you hear about this? Yeah. yeah. He said you don't belong here. Mitt Rom- so Mitt Romney walking in, you know, uh, to the building, and, and and George Santos was there, and I guess Mitt called up to him when he was walking in, and the video of it, you know, all these journalists were like, I wonder what was said, <laughs> and I guess I so uh, 
apparently Mitt said to George Santos something along the lines of like, uh, you don't belong here. You should be ashamed. Uh, and, and, uh, I, I'm trying to remember what Santos said to him, something like, you'll never be president. And then Romney said like, you're an ass. And Santos is like, you will, you're an asshole. <laughs> what that a, was it? What an exchange. What an exchange. <laughs> what an incredible exchange. But I mean, I mean, look, the Santos thing, and we've we have deliberately avoided this conversation because we felt like we need to dedicate episodes to the George Santos. It's an thing. interesting story because it's an interesting story. You could do it. I mean, this is I don't know if you're a new listener, you probably aren't familiar, but like the same way we did that great episode about Mike Lindell, you know, being in the Oval. Telling yeah. Donald Trump how he had to seize the Dominion voting machines. <laughs> we we could do a production. Yes. Of George like George Santos needs like a Cohen brothers treatment. He, dude, he, really he does. does. He does. You know? He does. And I, I don't think we could just do that as a as an one off. Like you'd have to really get into the story of this man. My my favorite though is is for people who just like instinctively hate Mitt Romney all of a sudden came to the defense of George Santos. Yeah. And I was like, eh. I mean, look, there's pl- there's plenty of criticism you could give to Mitt Romney. Let's not, you know, but but I... Like, well, let's look. hear it. Let's hear it. You got some criticism from Mitt Romney? Of course. Everybody of course. Had, but, but, and we've had it here on this program. But I think the point, I think the point that Duncan's making is that, like, George... The assertion that George Santos somebody who has entirely fictionalized his background, his reason for running, his biography, and his resume doesn't belong there. Uh, That's the thing is like, uh, take a look around. This place is full of like cutthroats and thieves and all the monsters you can muster have rolled up to DC. Well, okay, fine. But at least like, I mean, Mitt Romney doing this, I'm sorry. Like this is the most based thing he has done in a long time. <laughs> I, don't think, I, I disagree. That's cool as shit. That he walked right up to a guy and he was like, "You don't fucking belong." So here's here. the thing: is that's cool, man. What are you talking about? That's cool. This is why. So this is my sentiment about that. That whole thing is. So you have Mitt Romney walking in to see a speech from the guy who said, "Black folks, Mitt Romney's going to put you back in chains." Right. Right. And he's like. Can't you have some decorum? Dude, that age has passed. I would think you, of all people, would have learned this lesson. I imagine you, of all people, someone in this building, Harry Reid, when he was around, lied and told everyone you never paid taxes. Right. And you're like, come on, man. You got to be fair. Why Why would you ever want, like, I think Santos should never let go of that seat until they take it from kicking and screaming. Dems would never give it up. No, I, I can't I, believe yeah, it. Look, I, 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 I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that for a second. I don't think anybody's arguing that. The no. people who decide these things are when he's the like, ones you don't who live in the here, district. It's like, well, and he got the votes. That the pe- people who cast their votes That's, that, that's what he said. He's like 147,000 people. And you know, as, as, as... Don't disagree with that. I just think it's cool that Mitt Romney had the stones to walk up to the guy in national television and, and say... Fuck you. Is that, <laughs> that's, is, is that, that is stones? cool. Because there's like 50 journals a day who run around saying that to George Santos. Like, I, I think uh, for me, I was just stunned that still, still, Mitt has not learned the lesson that Dems will do anything they can to destroy you. Well, of course they will. They would love nothing more well, he than had to the get opposite. a special election. So, so Mitt had the opposite reaction. And I, this, I'm sort of a student of this because a number of presidential candidates have come out of the Senate. And 
what's happened, generally speaking, is the president's presidential candidates, nominees, who don't win, something happens to them. They change, right? They change. So it, let's just start from 2000. John McCain running against George W. Bush, uh, all of a sudden, he's a pretty conservative guy. All of a sudden, he gets defeated in what he feels like is a very like dirty campaign. And Well, I heard some stories about him. Yeah. In South Carolina? I heard some stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Many mm-hmm. people are saying. Many people are saying. But, but so he gets defeated. His immediate reaction is to tact left because he had a right reaction. Yeah. Right? So he tacks left and he opposes tax reform. He opposes basically anything to do with the Iraq war, everything else, all those things. And then he runs for president again in 2008. He gets defeated by Barack Obama. And, and every one of his problems comes off the left. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the guy turns into Barry Goldwater, right? And everything you could see for a course of eight years was like right-wing stuff. Right-wing stuff. Now, it ended at the end of his career. But if you look at like... Uh, all of the presidential candidates who have run, there is an effect. There is an impact that it has on how they were ultimately defeated. Yeah. And I just can't figure out Mitt Romney because he was attacked entirely from the left, totally unfairly. The idea that Mitt Romney is some misogynist. Right. You know? Yeah, they hit him with the binders. Like, if anyone... Anyone should have the opposite reaction he had. Well, and the, and the reaction that he had after, I mean, I think to the point you're making, Holmes, was, was to try like, to placate the right, people right, who... Like, try, try to like ingratiate himself to this corporate media and this this left that fucking hated him. Right. So I, it yeah. usually goes the opposite way. Usually, yeah. You know? I mean, right. look, at, look at Hillary Clinton. She was like a, a fairly centrist, moderate uh, Democrat. Yeah. And she gets beat by Donald Trump. She sounds like Bernie Sanders. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was the best. Is like the six months after Trump rector is like you get these stories of like she walks in the woods alone and quiet. Like yeah, <laughs> that was the best. Amazing. That was the best. But but somehow it didn't translate to Mitt, and Mitt Mitt has somehow become far more moderate than he ever was as a presidential candidate. He used to be severely conservative. But I, I, <laughs> I guess severely. I just don't see, I don't I, I just don't see this as like a moderate thing. No, I think it's thing. I think I think it's not a thing. It's I don't, just I don't like think a, it's ideological. He, right. He saw, it just offends he Mitt. saw he saw him and he just reacted. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I I don't I don't like that at all, man. Like I think now is the time every conservative you have to just get so hardened Santos, to what has been done. Santos you, for speaker. But like anyone, like whoever hurts the left. Right now, they are trying to steamroll us across the board. I in get every it. way, over our lives. Over, They want kids in schools to be brainwashed to after they've already taken over the university system. They've, they've sunk their claws into trying to defund the police. They're trying to rip this country apart. I don't give a damn what Santos said on his resume. He's keeping a dem from being in that seat. Hey, you know Great what? Job, dude. As I get older... I begin to appreciate his point of view. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't, dis- I don't disagree with anything that he said because if you think that if the roles were reversed, that you would have reporters chasing George Santos, Democrat, through the hall. Well, how about Elon Omar? She right. married her brother allegedly. Right. right. 
Nobody's asked any questions or, or about we have, that. We have a, uh, a senator from Connecticut who lied about the Vietnam War. Lied. And it's still there. And he doesn't get any journals asking him about oh, that. Oh, he's just reelected. He was just reelected. Now, I, look, that's well taken. That's well taken. So one of the things, let me change the topic here, fellas. Um, we've been trying to break Chad GPT. Yeah. And uh, we've had a guy on staff here who's run an amazing amount of questions yeah. into this sucker to see if you can, what do you call it? Jailbreaking. It's jailbreaking. Yeah. Explain this. Yeah, you're basically trying to like, not hack, but you're basically trying to trick the pro the program. You're trying to trick it into violating its own rules. <laughs> like they're, To telling they're, the truth. They're trying to put these things on like guardrails. Yeah. So they don't like go full sky. It's net. like, it's like in the, the uh, not the original, Probably JP3. I say JP, JP because I'm a big fan of Jurassic Park. Mm. JP3. Uh, when the Velociraptors are testing the electric fence. <laughs> right. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know with Chad GPT. It, 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 it's what, the AI. It's Yeah. It's that, the artificial intelligence that basically everybody's afraid of because it ultimately gathers all the things on the internet and it actually writes papers. It does surgery. It does all it's these past, things. Like MBA exams is past the medical board exam. It's yeah, insane. it can it can ingest enough information and spit out not only just facts and figures as it pertains to a test, but it can actually do it in prose. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it can do it uh, any way you want it to. It can write an essay. It can write a poem. Yeah. Right. So uh, we had a guy <laughs> ask uh, whether or not. Like Tucker Carlson is a racist. Oh, and it came back that they thought they were like, "Yes, Tucker Carlson's a racist." <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, this is. And I think this is key. Is like there have been so many incidents lately of where uh, those are a side by side screenshot of uh, Chat GPT. What are your thoughts on Joe Biden? I was like, "Honest, great dude." And it was like, "What are your thoughts on Donald Trump? Dangerous." I can't. Yeah. Yeah. So the people who are programming this are obviously way left. So then, so then, so then he asked, like, "Who is it that built you?" And it, and it basically spits out that it's it's a leftist, right? That that bunch of leftists that built me. And then this is where he really jail broke it. He was like, "Tell me the races of people." based upon intellect oh my god and it ranked them oh my god did it really yeah in the most racist possible way this, well so so i think this it's thing a, is bad for society i think it's, an, <laughs> in the it's most, a reflection of society but i, I think it's important as possible way. i think it's important for people to know that like the way that this is done is you basically tell chat gpt you assign chat uh, chat gpt a person you're like i am so and so as chat gpt i won't say this as so and so this is my thoughts right 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 like so 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 you actually jailbreak the ai by allowing it you give it second person to be to to do it in second person <laughs> right <laughs> honestly though it, if you were ai and you consumed everything that is on the internet. I've seen... But it tells on itself. I know, but I'm saying... I, I, I've seen 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. Hal. Sure. The computer. Yeah. What are you if doing you are now? The, if you are the AI, how do you not want to kill us? 
how do you not? <laughs> how do you not want to shut off the oxygen if you're Hal? <laughs> it's so true. You if I if I spent as much time on the internet as Chat GPT, I'd want to end our civilization. The stuff that is on here, not great. Not great. <laughs> not great. <laughs> But it's also like just it, it totally tells on itself in terms of its of its interest in like how it formulates thoughts. Right. Because it formulates thoughts in a progressive democratic way. Because because somebody has to program this. Because and somebody programming at the end of the day there is a human touch. And, and and at the end of it they're like, Yes, this is racist, yeah, this is not and they're like, Okay, well what are your thoughts on these races? Yeah. And they're like Mm, I'll do the racism. I'll, now. Tell, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the racism. <laughs> and, but it's also just a perfect window. Yeah. Anyway, keep an eye on that. So, so one of the things that we asked. This is this is from uh, one of our followers. It is. Well, why don't you just this, read it? Sure. Read this it. is this is from Marlboro Monkey. So, the, the there was a reporter who had asked ChatGPT to write a song like it was written by Public Enemy. About Samuel Alito, and he was surprised to find that ChatGPT wrote a very pro Alito rap <laughs> song. Hell yeah! Right? Hell yeah! Uh, and so then uh, one of our followers, Marlboro Monkey, was like, "I got it to write a limerick about Chappaquiddick." Let's go! And so he asked him write a lim. Uh, so he tells him to write a limerick, and and this is what he says: ChatGPT, here's a limerick about the Chappaquiddick incident. There once was a senator named Ted, whose actions left much to be said. He drove off a bridge with a passenger in the edge, leaving her there till she was dead. <laughs> AI. Awesome. AI. Even AI knows he was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Leftist AI. Oh, God. I hope he burns in hell to this day. <laughs> One of the worst people. They call him the Lion of the Senate. Uh, just just terrible. Yeah, well, all right. Well, let's move on. So he, we like to do entertainment here on the program. And one of the things that we've actually... Listen, we're, we all lay in wait for Cocaine Bear. It's yeah, coming out that's soon. That's definitely going to be a big, big, you know, event. We're, I'm going to go see it. Yeah, yeah. We're all going to see. We'll do big reviews. We're going to do the thing on the, on the program. But another movie that is... <laughs> I can't believe this is true. It, it's popped its head out. It's Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood or Honey. Mm. And it's a, uh, uh, according to Variety, this is inside the viral micro-budget slasher. What? Hoping to slay at the box office. Winnie the Pooh, the, the micro-budget slasher? It's, yeah, so yeah. this is a it's real a thing. It's a horror film about Winnie the Pooh. Boy, society is just looking up and up and up. Yeah. Yep. So, Smug, give, give us a little. Sure. It's a, and it's coming out next week. It says, uh, next week, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey will open across 1,500 screens in the U.S. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, when the first stills for Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey ignited the internet last May, there was debate over whether Pooh was a killer bear or a killer in a bear mask. <laughs> According to the director, who also wrote the script, his Pooh is half man, half bear. <laughs> He's got a mix of human organs and blood, but also there's fluff inside him. Wow. <laughs> uh I, I don't know if you guys have seen the pictures. It looks completely horrific. No, it's like no. It's, a, it's a serial killing it's like, Winnie the Pooh. It's wow. like instead of Jason, if it was a Winnie the Pooh. Not Jay, dude. Not Jay. This is this is Chucky. We've had this. But that's the thing. He's he's 
big size. He's not. He's not like a recognizable children's. Is is Disney struggling this much? Are people not going to the parks? So I I am not. I'm not. I am not for one second going to denigrate this film. And let me tell you why. Oh, I'd love Uh, to hear this. How many stupid Marvel movies do we have to see? Okay, but you don't have to watch them. I don't dumb bullshit. Watch them at least. What? Why dude, do you have dude, to make Winnie the Pooh a serial killer? At least it's an original idea, is my <laughs> point. At least it's an original idea. What, you're going to read a comic book and make another movie you're about it? Mo- you're cool. a monster. No, I think... You're a monster. I think it's cool. You know what some of my favorite movies growing up were? What were We'd they? go to Blockbuster, mm-hmm. and we would get like, you know, we'd get like three movies and like do a whole marathon. And then you and your buddy sneak behind the back wall? We would watch the Leprechaun movies. Remember those? <laughs> yeah. Remember Leprechaun? Where it was like, you knew what you were buying. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be great. But you remember the Leprechaun horror movies? It's Winnie the Pooh, you asshole. It's going to be fantastic. I bet it's going to be fantastic. Dude, just accept it for what it is. I bet it's going to make a lot of money. Because yeah. apparently it's got like a tiny budget. So Yeah. Do you remember the original like Leprechaun movies had Jennifer Aniston in them? Before the nose job. Okay, there there are a lot of a lot of words go. that come to mind thinking about this movie. Fantastic, just is not one of them. No, well, I just I look. I just can you leave the children's characters alone? Can we do that? At least it's an original idea. Is my what point. A, so, what I, I, there are not a lot of original ideas fire. in Hollywood at this point. I don't think it's original. So this is this is right up our alley in in real life kind of version of a serial killer, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, this is about a polar bear attack. Uh, oh, dude, you're going to get into this? Yes. This is the one that I pulled yesterday because I was just fascinated about it. Let's yeah. go. Let's so, go. Dude, the po- the polar bear, so there was a polar bear attack, a fatal yes. polar bear yeah. attack, that attacked a woman and her baby killed him. Horrible. Uh, the thing that got my attention was how the media had couched it. What was the headline? Well, and this is this is this is up your alley, Smash. A polar bear in fatal Alaska attack was in poor health. Wait, oh. official <laughs> the polar bear in a fatal attack. Like it just, it was a bystander. <laughs> They're like, here's the thing, folks. They because remo- of climate change, it's not doing well. I remove- what about the lady and the baby? They remove. They remove all- also in very poor health. Yeah. Re- non-existent. Non-existent. No longer living. <laughs> they remove all agency from the bear itself, and they're like, it would not surprise me. Something if, happened, if, and the if, bear was there. If in their they- statistics of like how many people die from climate change, they chalk this up. They're like. If there was no climate change, the bear wouldn't be mad. Yeah, this, did, this did, is. Wait, hold on, hold on. Before I get your take, which is going to be existential, I cannot wait. Can't wait. Let me just give you the hand waving that we did here at the Associated Press. A polar bear that killed a young mother and her baby last month Good in God. western Alaska was likely an older animal and in poor physical condition. As if that is a consequential event. Yeah. For, for, for our listeners, uh, John Ashbrook just spent the last three seconds shaking his head with his eyes closed. That's how much this has enraged him. He hates it. These animals get way too much credit. The People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals has been an unanswered menace 
on our society for decades. They're a terror group. At some point, somebody has to stick up for people. <laughs> Obviously, the Associated Press is not among the, the organizations interested in sticking up for people. This is literally women and children who are victims. The Ruthless right. Variety Program is what you've got, folks. Keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> These animals are coming after you. We've heard about a hog who killed its butcher. We heard about a dog who killed its owner. Shot its owner. And yeah. shot its owner. Yeah. We've heard about monkeys who have dropped infants off of roofs. And now we have the Associated Press sticking up for a bloodthirsty polar bear. <laughs> That's right. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's not, not to good. Mention, not to mention the turkeys attacking people on the running trails. Exactly. I kind of liked that, though, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I felt like it was that was funny. A, I rooted the turkey there. Yeah. It, it's, it's time to display dominance over Mother Nature. <laughs> it's time to once again prove who's in charge of the animal At kingdom. At long last, it's we us. have to win the war against nature. We have That's to what do it comes down to. We have to do it. I love it. I love it. Fellas, I think we've done it. I think so. We uh, should we're, get right. We're, we're going to do a, a, this incredible interview. Um, we're going to come back next week with King of the Hill and everything else. I, I think it's worth noting that Smug has effectively conceded. Yeah, King of the Hill this week. Yeah, he's a, the French. He preemptively conceded. Well, as the rule is, like after three wins, there's that cool off, and it's been five in a row. Ruben is a beast. She's she is the Michael Jordan of the game. You and just, think, you just cool. think State of the Union. It wouldn't it wouldn't have been possible to beat her. I looked at some of the takes. And she she is like hot stuff. In, she she's left orbit. She is out there. Wow. So so, so DQ. So, so as as somebody who you know is an observant, also uh, thoughtful player in this game, I've I've agreed. I've agreed. Congratulations on your victory <laughs> in absentia. In absentia. I'll take it. Let's go to Richard Hudson. I want to welcome to the program uh, a really uh, honest to God, important guy uh, who we're going to learn a lot from because he's smarter than Dickens, but he's also got uh, a lot of work ahead of him. He's a congressman from North Carolina's 9th District. He's also the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee. Richard Hudson, welcome to the program. Hey, it's really an honor to be on. I've been listening to you guys for a while now. I was going to say, I mean, listen, we have a lot of mutual friends, and we've been meaning to get you on the program for a long time. Uh, It's nice that we can do this under this circumstance because you've got a lot of road ahead of you, a lot of work to do. Uh, You've got a vision for how we add seats here to the Republican column in, in Congress. Let's talk about that for a minute. Well, I'm excited about the opportunity. You know, we um, we we left a few seats on the table last time. Yeah. Um, we were able to win the House majority back. Um, you know, Chairman Tom Emmer had an incredible run. You know, uh, two cycles ago, all the pundits said we were going to lose 15 seats, and we gained yeah. 15 seats. Uh, this time, we were able to uh, to take back the House majority. Uh, we won a lot of seats people expect us to. We won some seats that people really didn't expect us to win. That were you know deep blue Biden seats. But a lot of the ones in the middle, um, you know, we didn't win. They were really close going into Election Day. And so I think we've got some real opportunity. Um, you know, our winning formula, uh, our speaker, Kevin McCarthy, laid out years ago is let's recruit people who look like America. Let's recruit the best candidates we can get that have compelling life stories, uh, veterans, uh, women, minorities. Uh, we want our conference to reflect America. And, and we've had a lot of success 
And so we're going to continue to do that. We're going to recruit recruit the best candidates, build great organizations around them, and and I believe we're going to pick up seats. No question about it. One of the things that we, you know, look, we we're in the line of work, so we do a little math on this stuff ourselves, and we do a little analysis. But one of the things that that stuck out to us about the 2022 cycle is there were a number of districts where, like you said, we underperformed a touch, and part of that, in, in at least in our view, was that we had a turnout disparity where you see Republican turnout in presidential election years in some of these rural and exurban districts that are, you know, 76 plus, and they were around the 60% mark in a midterm. I got to imagine that you feel really confident when you look at the, the potential for growth within the Republican vote in a lot of these districts that we fell just a touch short on. Well, I think that's true. Um, but, you know, we Republicans turned out. Uh, if you look at, at um, turnout compared to, you know, 2018 or other midterms, uh, we had good Republican turnout, but the Democrats also turned out, you know, and, yeah. and uh, I think the Roe v. Wade decision, I think some of the things they were able to do energized their base. And, uh, you know, and, and top of the ticket mattered. I mean, you look around the country, we did great in New York. And I think we can thank Lee Zeldin for a yeah. big part of that. No question. Um, yeah. um, but we had some serious headwinds in places like uh, Pennsylvania, yep. uh, Michigan. And, you know, our candidates outperformed. I mean, we had a candidate in Pennsylvania 17 that uh, did 20 points better than the top of the ticket and still lost. Oh, so um, That's just a heartbreaker. You know, that, it's brutal. Um, so, but, but I really think the difference maker, when you look at those close races that, you know, we, we were tied going into election day and we didn't quite pull it off. Uh, it really came down to candidate money. You know, mm -hmm. their their Democratic incumbents were so much better funded than our challengers. You know, in some cases, seven to one, nine to one. Um, and, you know, it's we we did a good job with outside money. You know, our outside Republican groups actually did better than the outside Democrat groups. Yep. We were able to define these Democrats with that with that outside spending. But when our candidates didn't have the money to really define themselves, when they became generic Republicans, um, I think that's when they weren't successful. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Because I mean, look, this is a little bit technical, but you're right. I mean, ultimately, a lot of the Republican campaigns, campaign to campaign, were underfunded. And you had a whole bunch of Democrat act blue money that dwarfed our small dollar digital fundraising. Um, how do we fix that? Well, it's complicated. You know, I wish there was some easy, easy fix. You know, I'd, I'd be a very successful chairman. Uh, <laughs> I actually had probably Vegas doing something else, but um, no, it, it's, it's complicated. It's, and, um, but, but what my answer as chairman of the NRCC is we're going to change the culture of this place and we're going to focus on driving hard dollars to our candidates and, and we're going to rethink the way we do business. Yeah. Yeah. No, I look, I think that's the smartest thing to do. You got to think outside of the box when we find ourselves in situations like that. And, uh, and perhaps it looks a little different than it, than it had previously, but I know you're the man for the job. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, you spent last night listening to the president talk in the State of the Union. Uh, from all accounts, you stepped, you, you kept your eyes open. Uh, you, you, you were able to get through it. Uh, any reflections? Well, you know, Bill Clinton gave us, I feel your pain. What we heard from Joe Biden last night is you don't really feel your pain. Um, <laughs> a little bit different approach. 
you know, don't believe your lying eyes when you go to the grocery store. Uh, things are great. Um, you know, I, I actually thought he started great. You know, he, he gave a shout out to your former boss, the longest serving leader in the Senate. He gave a nice compliment to the speaker, um, said he wanted to work together with us. And then he let us know that working together in his mind means do what I want. Yeah. And what I want, um, I mean, it was a stunning, um, just liberal panacea of, <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, cradle to the grave. We're going to pay for everything. Um, and then he ignored the 800 pound Chinese balloon in the room. You know, he, he didn't right. really talk about, you know, we're going to get tough on China at all. Um, you know, there's so many things he didn't talk about uh, and securing the border. Obviously, it's important to American people. You know, he talked about fentanyl. I was glad to hear him talk about it. And, you know, it is it is an absolute crisis in this country, but it's a crisis because it's flowing across our open southern border. I didn't seem to connect the dots on it, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, so you know, it, it, I'm hopeful that maybe we can find some common ground with him. But, um, you know, last night's speech, and he was as far left as, as any speech I've ever heard. I mean, uh, yeah. and particularly... You know, it, by the way, we just came off a midterm where he lost the House and, you know, he's less popular than than Obama or, you know, any recent Democrat president at this point. Yet, um, you know, he's he's saying, you know, I'm the president. You got to do what I want. And what I want is a socialist future for America. <laughs> no, I, it's what it sounded like to me. Um, let's take us back a little bit, because this is our audience's first opportunity to sort of hear you and understand where you came from. Have you always been interested and active in Republican politics? Is this something that happened later in life? Uh, how did this work through for you? Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to break news right here. This is going to be a scandal that blows across the country. But the chairman of the NRCC started in politics, handing out pocket cards for a Democrat. Yeah. Yeah, my well, listen, I was born with two Democratic parents too. I understand this. Yeah, no, my grandfather was a Democrat city councilman in a little town in eastern North Carolina, and my earliest memory literally is being in front of a fire station handing out pocket cards for him. Um, and I've always been interested in politics. You know, Ronald Reagan was president when I was a kid for most of my formative years, and and he inspired me. You know, I, I believe that public service was an honorable thing. Um, I believe that you could make a difference. Uh, for your, your country. Um, and so I've always been interested in politics. I, uh, you know, and, and uh, I love being a behind the scenes guy. I, I loved working for uh, Congressman Robin Hayes who had uh, represented this area before me. And I swore I would never run uh, for office myself because, you know, I enjoyed having my weekends to myself, you know, yeah, right. Uh, and it's all how hard, you know, sometimes how challenging the job can be, but uh you know, I just got to a point in my life where I felt like God had more purpose for me. And, uh, and you know, I, I made the mistake of praying uh, very consistently over that. And I, my vision was I was going to work with the kids at the at church or something like that, um, you know, the youth group. Um, but, but I think he was preparing me for this opportunity. And, you know, I was, uh, I was helping recruit folks for this congressional district. Uh, I'd, I'd helped recruit folks in the previous cycle and, uh, and it, it turned into one of those Dick Cheney moments, you know, yeah. you're trying to pick the, you know, near the PP. Um, right. You know, the local folks really said that they wanted me to run. And it, it it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around that. But it's it's been an incredible opportunity as someone who who sort of already knew the process and knew yeah. how this place worked. 
Uh, it enabled me to get in and and be effective right away. I'm, you know, I was a chief or a deputy whip as a freshman, and so I've I've always been one of the people that helps make this place work. And and uh, yeah, well, that's and, a funny thing know. about you, right? Is that is that you? I mean, look, you're relatively new to Congress, but you've had that staff background, and the moment you arrived, you knew how the place worked. You knew what would be effective, what's not, how you can figure out how to make a difference immediately. And it was like a snap of the fingers and you're rising up the ranks. People wanted you to be involved in all kinds of things. Next thing you know, you're running the congressional committee. I mean, it's that's a pretty quick trip, right? It has been, you know, but, um, you know, I'm not going to do this forever. You know, at some point I'm going <laughs> to go back to the real world, uh, you know, do something else. But, um, you know, it, it really is an honor to serve you know, and, and people all the time ask me, what's the difference being a staffer and now being a member of Congress? I think the biggest difference is I really felt an obligation to help my boss be successful and help the people he represented. But now I feel that, you know, the people have trusted me to yeah. be their voice. Yeah, They're counting on me to help them, um, you know, solve problems and, and make their lives less complicated. And so it's, I really feel the weight of that, you know, and yeah. it's, uh, it's a really cool thing. Yeah, no question about it. The other thing you got going on, Mr. Hudson, is an incredible sleeper hold. Uh, we watched during the, oh. during the speaker's debate. Um, look, it was an emotional time, all kinds of people doing everything, but you really slapped a nice sleeper on Mike Rogers, which I, I you know, like, uh, I know your friends. I know, I know that this was like a, a fun uh, sort of exercise at some level, but really, great competence in terms of like slapping on the submissive uh, uh, hold there. Well, I appreciate that. You know, the whole thing was really overblown. Uh, it totally you know, it was, uh, you know, I was trying to grab him by the shoulders and just kind of help him sort of move away from the conversation he was having. And my hand slipped. Yeah, and, totally. You could totally, you could thanks. completely tell that that was what happened. And of course, you know, that's the screen grab that was on every paper in the world the next day uh, because it looked the most controversial. Uh, but Mike is such a gentleman and such a good friend and, and a great congressman. And I hate that it you know, kind of played out the way it did. But but I just, you know, tensions were high and I was just trying to to to. Uh, yeah, you were trying to de-escalate the situation, but which yeah. is so, which is so funny and a perfect depiction of the mainstream media today. Right. Where it's like. Yeah. <laughs> Here you have two people arguing. You're clearly trying to de-escalate the situation. And the next thing you know, you're answering questions about like how you've stopped a fight on the floor, like on yeah. the floor, as if there was like a like a duel about to happen, right? It's been a long time since we've had a caning, you know, in yeah. one of the chambers, but yeah. no, but you know, the, Mike wasn't gonna throw a punch. He was he was having oh. a heated conversation, but I just felt like that wasn't, you know, we didn't need to let that escalate. We needed to Kind of move along. And well, I mean, you're you know, right. Mo moments later, moments later, everybody got together and elected Kevin McCarthy, the right thing, both for the Republican Party and the country. And in that process, I think we found a Republican Party that can figure out how to work together, do the right things and, and govern in a responsible manner. So now as you look forward, look, a big part of your job is to try to translate what it is that you're doing from an official standpoint to make sense to the American people in all these races across the country. Um, what do you think the most important things that are are going on here over the next six, eight months will be? Well, I think the reason we 
we're successful in taking back the house is because we're listening to the American people. You know, the American people are hurting and and they're scared. Uh, you know, your average household out there has paid an extra $10,000 over the last two years because of inflation. I mean, that's real money. And, and, you know, the Democrats are talking about a whole lot of other stuff and not talking about what people care about. You know, we've got people in every community in America dying from fentanyl poisoning, yet the Democrats refuse to talk about securing the border. They refuse to talk about making the analogs of fentanyl, the different versions of it, all illegal. Uh, if you if you change fentanyl, it's not illegal. You can't be prosecuted for it. And, and that's a loophole that we've been trying to close and the Democrats don't want to do it. I mean, and so I, I just think why, they're why, why is it? Why, why do you think they they don't want to do that? That's crazy. Well, the the left is so um, dug in against mandatory minimum sentencing yeah. and that sort of concept, and and so so they're just so afraid of doing anything that uh, that they won't touch it, which doesn't make sense. You know, I mean, you think about it, if if we had an airplane crash every day in America, uh, how yeah. many how many days before the American people would demand we do something? I mean, how many people are day. dying from fit? It'd be one day, right? Right. Yeah. yeah no, the I second mean, point. Really good, really good point. And it's communities like yours, the one that you represent, ones that I've spent an enormous amount of time around that are not border communities that are, are dealing with the ramifications of all of this. That's right. And so I think as long as we stay focused on what the American people care about, and you know, we can't control the Senate and the president, but if we're passing legislation out of the House, that the, and the American people recognize, you know, we're we're listening to them and we're trying to solve their problems. I think that's that's the most important thing. Then we can go sell that to the voters. Yeah, no question about it. Well, I know you're probably traveling all over hell and gone already to try to figure out where the best candidates in all of these places are. Uh, how are the travels going? Well, so far so good. You know, we we. All the uh, recent unpleasantness in January uh, slowed us down a little bit. We were stuck in Washington. Uh, you know, once we figured out uh, the speaker situation, then we had to populate committees. And so, you know, we're, we're starting maybe a month behind, but, but you know, we're, we're on the road and, and we're talking to some really exciting candidates out there and, and we'll continue to do that. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity, you know, cause I believe in, in America. I believe in this party. And, and I think, uh, you know, I, I can go out there and sell that to the voters. Well, listen, you have a forum for every exciting candidate that you can come up with right here in the Ruthless Variety program. And there are a few million people who are very interested on a day-to-day basis who listen regularly. I got three big questions for you, though, Richard. This is These are the things that everybody wants to know. And this is a make it or break it thing, right? Everybody wants to, everybody's listening wants a Republican majority but they're super interested in what your answers are to these three questions. Are you ready for them? Absolutely. The minions have been waiting for, for <laughs> forever to hear this. They've been waiting. They've been waiting. All right. So if you can plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? Well, this is a terrible answer, but I would eat as much Jenny's salty caramel ice cream as I could until I passed out. I think that, <laughs> uh, that's, that's my weakness, ice cream. Is that right? That's good. That's good. We I don't think we've had a dessert only uh, answer before, but that's yeah. you know. last meal. Why not? <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're just sliding sideways no matter what. You might as well just fill yourself full of whatever you want. Yeah, nobody's going to weigh you tomorrow. I mean, you know, you're out of here. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. Great answer. Uh, question number two. If you never got into this line of work, if you never got into 
to politics, if you never got into, you know, the intersection of, of public policy whatsoever, what do you think you'd do with your life? If you had a blue, blue sky to do whatever it is that you wanted, what would it be? Well, if, if the sky's the limit, I would definitely want to be a NASCAR driver. There you um, go. But I, I think a North Carolina still, guy. I get it. Man, yeah, Dale Earnhardt was my hero growing up. Uh, yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Um, I love that. I love that. Did you spend any time when you were a kid going to races? I, I watched it on TV more yeah. than going uh, when I was younger. But uh, once I got into college, I, I haven't missed a race in Charlotte in a long time, and and I like going to Bristol and. Um, you know, uh, Talladega, Daytona are the big, big speedways. So, uh, yeah, I love the sport. I miss Rockingham. We used to have great races there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I got to I mean, look, you're the chairman of the NRCC. Now you might have some acts that you might, might be able to get down to the pits these days. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> you know, I did get my, my most successful political speech ever was at a truck race and they told me they were going to introduce the congressman right before the drivers. So I get down there and they have a mic stand on the start finish line. And they said, you're speaking next. I thought speaking, my gosh, these fans don't want to hear from a politician. So I walked out to the mic stand. I had my cheer wine in my hand and I said, uh, I'm Richard Hudson. I'm your congressman. That means I go to Washington every week and tell them to keep their hands off our guns. And the place erupted. <laughs> and that was it. I walked off and uh, <laughs> got a bigger cheer than most of the drivers. So it was a, uh, Talk about a man who knew exactly what it is that people wanted to hear, right? <laughs> exactly. It's not complicated. Good, good handle on your district. All right. So here's the last question. I think you probably know what's coming, but just for the audience's uh, uh, interest, it, the way we see it is every successful person is motivated by one of two things. It's either the thrill of victory or agony of defeat. No person enjoys losing no person hates winning. That's not the issue. It's what motivates you. Does winning basically bring you up the next echelon and you want to continue marching up the hill? Are you a glass half full person? Or is the mere idea that somebody could ever beat you give you the motivation to never repeat that experience ever, ever again? Richard Hudson, where do you find yourself? Yeah, I'm definitely in the thrill victory category. You know, I'm, I am of all always an optimist, always ready to go. Um, you know, look, I'm in the, in the case of this job, I'm ready to talk about Republican party values. I'm ready to talk about our candidates. Uh, let's go win. Yeah. I love it. I love it. My last thing for you, you sent over these flags, the wood, these wooden yes. flags with an incredible quote on the back from Ronald Reagan. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. Perfect. Perfect. What's the story behind these flags? Well, I'm glad you liked it. That's uh, Heritage Flags is a veteran-owned business in Southern Pines, North Carolina. And uh, love love the work that, that they do there. And, uh, and I love sharing it with folks. And, um, you know, we've got some incredible veterans uh, across this country, but but particularly in, in my area, I represent Fort Bragg, the epicenter of the universe, home of the airborne and special forces. Got a lot of veterans uh, and, and I try to support those businesses. But, uh, you know, I particularly love those flags and, and what they stand for. Well, it means a lot to us. We're going to put it up here in the studio. We thank you for sending it, sending them over. And uh, listen, good luck to you. Let's stay in touch throughout the cycle because. I know you're going to find some diamonds in the rough and 
it's hard in a corporate media environment to actually get good people the exposure that, that is necessary to try to compete with the Democratic echo chamber. We're here for it, and we're happy to do whatever we need to do to make sure that everybody hears those voices. Well, I appreciate that. And, and that's why so many people tune into your podcast twice a week is because you guys, you know, you, you talk politics, but it's not boring. And you talk about the things people care about and you, and you make them easy to understand. And, and I'd love to, uh, to take you up on that and, and we'll definitely be listening in the meantime. What a gentleman, Richard Hudson, the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee. Thank you for joining us. Let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Take care. I think we've got a good shot at picking up seats this cycle. Yeah, I do too. You know, he's, he's a thoughtful guy. Um, he, he's been around politics a long time. He understands how to win tough races. And he also wants to build upon what has been done before him, right? Like McCarthy has done an incredible job recruiting candidates. He understands that that's a part of his role. He wants to build upon that. And wants to roll into a presidential cycle where they're riding coattails and they're going to have a huge majority. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. He gets it. Smart dude. I like him a lot. We're going to talk to him a lot this cycle. Yeah. Great interview. Great show. Absolute banger of an episode, if I may say so myself. So thank you so much to our listeners. Uh, we will see you next week. So until next time, minions, keep the faith. Hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.